0: There's a Mac Power Users podcast that's the like product manager for the Mac Pro went on, and I haven't listened to that.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I'll be honest, that probably won't be something that I listen to. Yeah, I, it, I, that's, I mean, that's I'm, a bit I'm outside like my m- scope. Minorly <laughs>
0: interested, but not majorly interested. I mean,
1: if I was processing dragons for Game of Thrones, I'd be interested in what they had to say about it. But well, not anymore because you wouldn't have a job. <laughs> <laughs> Can't afford that Mac pro. <laughs> <laughs> I hope your I, last paycheck was a good one cause <laughs> <laughs> yeah because that Mac, that new that new Mac pro is gonna be a small car. i'm talking about wwc because we've been rambling about the (laughs) mac pro um wwc was last week we're here on floor nine to uh give our thoughts and our comments on everything that apple had announced uh but i I would love to start with this you know what what was your favorite announcement because i've got two I'm curious to know from your standpoint of everything that, everything that came out, what were your, uh, what, what were your favorites? Uh, my
0: favorite announcement, uh, I think, uh, cause I don't know enough about it yet, but I think my favorite announcement is reality composer, which oh. is the sort of drag and drop tool, for uh, creating AR, they uh, they I heard on a podcast they referred to it as like keynote, but for making AR experiences. And you know Ooh. I love keynote. Yeah, you so, you do. You're a keynote uh, f- uh, fanatic. And I love AR, so I'm very <laughs> excited to play with Reality Composer um, as soon as I can manage to get an iOS 13 beta installed on something.
1: Right. Well, we had that uh, old Mac Pro upstairs. I think the iPad you can. Installed on that? Yeah, I'm trying. I was trying to install it on my my work iPhone earlier, and it <laughs> wasn't working. <laughs> <laughs> well, that'd be the phone to do it on, considering you don't want to crash your main device. Exactly. Um, for me, it was the Memoji stickers, guys. I've been waiting. who I've been waiting to put my face on on that, and it's it looks like it's going to be also a sticker pack, but also in, in the emoji keyboard. So now all the emojis that. I used to send as just yellow face dudes will now be my face dudes, which <laughs> truly is uh, just a revolutionary but of what technology. So wait,
0: though, I have a question because as a as a hardcore Snapchat user and yep. Bitmoji user, fanatic one might say, yes, yeah, like that's interesting. Are you? Do you think? Obviously, maybe we should revisit this in six months. But do you think that that uh, the Memoji stickers will replace some of your Bitmoji usage?
1: Yes. Absolutely. Well, there you go. Yeah, no question, but here's the thing. It'll 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 replace some of the more common things that I do. So, um there are some bitmojis. Like I like bitmojis because like they have much more expression to them and a lot, and, and a lot more scenarios than say like a standard emoji or even a meme emoji. Uh I think the memojis are going are gonna to replace a lot of the emojis I send and then maybe some of the uh, more like you know detailed bitmojis that I send, but in general, I look, looking at what's available, it's just going to be like thumbs up, thumbs down, and like all like the smiley mm-hmm. faces. So sure, I don't, sure. I don't think the core use case that I have for, for bitmojis will be replaced now, mm. but in the future potentially. But definitely, this will re- be this will replace all of my emoji conversation like not even a question yeah yeah,
0: yeah. I, i'm really excited to get the you know i like the, the mind blown one yeah yeah make that one personalized <laughs> and the guy with the the, the, um, the monocle, monocle the one yeah. monocle
1: Ooh, i love monocle guy <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's really good um but with that i mean i think we should just go into some things that were announced and i want to start with uh the data and privacy segment because like there's a lot to talk about when it comes to data privacy especially at wwdc um we know Apple has been a big proponent of, um, you know, user protection and data privacy. Um, So do you want to start with the single sign-on with Apple and that announcement? Because that was, I think, the biggest one that they said.
0: So I think, yeah, I I said Reality Composer was my favorite uh, thing. But I think probably the most significant thing, at least in the short term, long term, there might be some more significant things. But in the short term, the most significant announcement was sign-on with Apple. Um, which is Apple's single sign-on product uh, that um, lets you sign into an app uh, or onto a website with a single tap. um, And it uses your face ID or touch ID on your device to authenticate you. And um, it gives the developer a unique identifier that is stable, so it's going to be the same identifier across all your iCloud logged in devices. Um, And then optionally can also give them an email address but the email address is actually run through a private relay on apple servers so it's an it, it, if you opt into giving them an email address you can optionally anonymize it yeah um, which i thought was
1: pretty interesting right because it said you can send standard email address anonymize email address and that was just like well there goes crm marketing yeah, for a yeah. lot of companies right there and
0: that i think is why we're so uh why it's going to potentially be so impactful and then I think the last component just to call out specifically is that any app that uses that runs through the app store that uses uh, third-party sign-ons so anything from Google or Facebook or Twitter or whoever third-party sign-ons must include sign in with Apple as an option and I think that that is the sort of leverage that is going to make this into something that you start to see in a lot of apps because a lot of apps are going to be required to use it. Now, if you just have your own account system, that's still fine. You don't have to offer it. You can require users to sign up using their normal email and, and password. And I actually wonder, you know, they're, they're, they're using their leverage with the App Store to force developers to do this, which is something that, could fall into uh, antitrust uh, concerns. Right. Um, and I think that yeah. is probably one of the strongest, uh, you know, it's interesting that it's, this is happening now. Um, but uh, I actually wonder, you know, just from a practical perspective, they're asking developers to add something that they are going to um, have to change their their login workflow. And I wonder what, what percentage of developers will... Go add sign in with Apple on top of um, Google and Facebook or whoever. Um, versus, you know, they're, if if they're faced with the oh, we have to update our login workflow, I wonder how many will just pull out all of the third party uh, uh, login options.
1: Yeah, um, I mean that's a that's a good that's a good a good question, and it would be interesting to see if more people pull out all the third party login because either way. I think that Apple gets to the same end result of exactly. protecting your data and exactly. your privacy,
0: and I, you know I think that that's the ultimate goal here. I think this is a carrot and a stick situation, and um, Apple doesn't really care at the end of the day; they just want to make sure that if you are offering third-party logins, that you're offering um, their option, which is obviously uh, more privacy-focused and um, more focused on you know maintaining that user data and that relationship. Um, and I think that Apple, as the arbiter of uh, users' privacy, this is this is probably the strongest. Um, uh, shot across the bow that they've really made, uh, but in, in in offering a direct product that competes with what companies like Facebook and Google offer.
1: Right, and it also I think going back to what we talked about from like a brand perspective, right, completely cuts down all the information that would be available, because uh, I believe the sign on with Apple just has your email address and then like the unique identifier. Um, and that's really it. And your name. And we It, it will
0: pass your name if, if you can opt to give right. them that access. Um, yeah, it's, it's very lightweight. Right. Um, and k- I, I think that that's the point, right? Right. So it's like, it's just what you need to make an account. It, the nice thing is that it works with your iCloud so it would work on all your devices. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I think that's the question. I think I, I, a lot of users, I think, will want this option. Um, so I that's where, where the counter to what I was saying before about developers pulling out all of the third- party login options. I actually think a lot of users will want this. It'll make it easy to log in on all of your Apple devices. It works on the web. It could theoretically work on Android as well. It does it does yeah well, there's no there's no Android SDK. so right, but a but little they, more work but, to make but it they work have a
1: Android. JavaScript for it. Yeah, so that's the the it's solution a more for Android work on
0: Android, but um yeah.
1: Right. And also, I, I think in the same section, they talked about how Bluetooth and Wi-Fi support are now being closed off the third parties, because that was another way that these applications would then kind of guess or estimate where your location was. Um, so like, they're also kind of cracking down on a third party's ability to actually tap into those built-in um, systems into a phone. So like, they're really cutting off a lot of the information that uh, we as marketers have had access to before so this like kind of apple ecosystem uh could be harder and harder to track and as i think it gets into our media has and have nots it's like you're paying for this uh, data privacy it's becoming like this luxury good yes
0: i mean i see. there's a lot of um framing of this as data as as privacy as a luxury uh a luxury good i would say that um It's, you know, Apple is is providing this as a service to their customers and it just is that Apple is obviously a higher value brand. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that increasingly, as you said, we, we talk about media have and have nots and increasingly... Uh, more and more people above a certain income level are going to be inside of Apple's ecosystem, and that's going to mean that they have more protections and more control over their data. Now, um, you know, Google has been coming out and being very uh, sort of uh, public about their uh, desire to offer these kinds of of, of uh, this kind of privacy for everyone, um, and I think that that is something that they potentially can do because of Android. It's just a little asymmetric because of their business model Um, like Mm -hmm. they've been apple and google have been trading jabs over this you know um, apple said on stage you don't have to flip a button in our maps to protect your privacy your location (laughs) privacy Um, which is very true is that google did just you know build some privacy protections into maps but you have to go into incognito mode Uh, so you know and some users probably will legitimately run google maps in incognito mode all the time but we'll see how easy it is to do that but,
1: um, right. You know. Well, I mean, it's interesting because like these are like the these are kind of becoming the two ways that data and privacy is being handled. It's either one, we're offering no access to third parties, you know, to your data, or two, uh, Google being very open and saying, "Hey, we're using your information. This is how we use it, and because we can use it, we can provide a better experience." Right. And I think what's going to really determine how benefit. Um, or like what those benefits are is, you know, over like these next few months, like who has a better user experience or uh, do you actually see um, a worse user experience when information that you have previously given and you re- re- retract that is no longer given? Uh, does that really actually change or impact your user experience?
0: Yeah, and I mean that—that's what Google is doing is exactly, I think, the right tactic for someone who has a business model that relies on advertising right. and user data. And it's the same thing we say to brands all the time: is that it's fine to ask for information as long as there's a clear value exchange. And Google, I think, is making a pretty good argument that there is a value exchange. Now, how much benefit you actually get from it, to your point, we'll see. Um, we, there, we've, you know, there's been a lot of conversation over the past five years about how Apple is going to be worse at certain things because they don't gather that sort of that data I think the reality of that hasn't turned out to be too true there are some things that they're worse at but not it's hard to say that it's specifically for that reason right
1: like for example Siri they're worse at Siri compared to the the Google Assistant and does that come down to it like a data thing or does that just come down to like a lack of attention to actually developing this product
0: yeah my I mean my guess is that it has more to do with architecture and Mm -hmm. when they started is that Siri was architect a long time ago and in a way that maybe was not optimal for the world we're currently living in Um, and Google Assistant obviously is is more recent Mm -hmm. so uh, and you know built off of the data that Google has it's a little bit of uh, you know chicken and egg kind of situation there Um, but in terms of things like Map, and I'd say that the same thing is maybe true about mapping is that Apple started later with mapping. Um, some of their approaches to mapping actually are, do make a little bit more sense um, from a, a modern perspective than Google. Whether the data is up to snuff is another question.
1: Um, you know, we, we mentioned maps. Um, in iOS 13, you uh, there's really been a, a crackdown on like your like your your location setting. So, yep. I was reading that um, kind of after the, the keynote address, um, there was a report that came out that said that Apple will actually send you a map of all the different pings that have hit your phone for your uh, device and its location, so you can kind of see as a as a person this like visual representation of this uh, you know background process that's going on so you can say oh wow like they've actually tracked me from my home to my store and back, So it kind of gives a, it's yeah. a bit more tactile.
0: It's, it's on a per app basis. So they, yep. they'll actually show you on a map. Here's where, you know, Lyft has, has requested my location and, and what they know about me, right. um, which is pretty interesting. The other thing is that you can also, um, they're introducing uh, new notifications. So if you, if something is using background location a lot, um, occasionally you'll just get a notification saying, Hey, this app is using your background location. Do you want to continue right. to allow that? Here's the information that they're seeing. Um, and also the other thing that I think is really good is a, a, a one-time only um, a grant of your location. So if you download an app just to try it, um, you can let it have your location for once, and then obviously if you continue to use it and find that valuable, you can allow it to keep doing that. But if you just download an app to try it out, um, it's not gonna, and then forget to delete it, it's not gonna be tracking you forever.
1: Right. Yeah. I th- I th- I, th- I thought that was great. That's something that I know I get prompted on on the Mac. It's like, oh, does it, this website wants you? It. It's always I always deny it. But that single use case, I think, is going to be a great a great way to help um, just just improve that user user experience. Yep. Um, but anyways, moving on. Um, So those were the really big data and privacy um, announcements. Was there anything else that you wanted to cover in there or that we missed?
0: Um, I mean, the only other small one very quickly is that there were some updates to their home platform mm-hmm. um, where they're going to be offering a uh, free storage of uh, video for cameras with select uh, with partner uh, manufacturers of home security cameras, which is great. It's a really easy thing for them to do. Um, and then also um, they're going to be bringing HomeKit, home kit, their home platform to Wi-Fi routers to help, Firewall off uh, d- devices so that not, uh, not so that a single device in your network can't see every other device on the network. Um, if it's just like a light bulb or something, right. um, which we've seen, this is good. It, we've seen this be a problem with like um, not any any sort of reputable manufacturers, but with uh, if you buy um, some low end light bulbs uh, and low end switches and things that you should be able to buy for you know very cheap because they're pretty simple. Um, but if you buy the very cheap ones, sometimes they have <laughs> not the best privacy uh, <laughs> and, and and have been hacked by botnets <laughs> and things. <laughs> Like that. So this is Apple saying, you know what, we can work with router manufacturers to uh, bring this to networks and, and help solve that problem without having to certify all of these uh, low-end devices. Right. They
1: should work with Bitdefender. That's been their whole... Uh their whole shtick for the past like two years is that they have that whole home device that puts up that firewall to help kind of block that um, yeah. potential faulty points within your home home network.
0: One of the interesting things is on the router side they are working with Eero, which is mm. now um, owned by Amazon. Interesting. Um, and uh, I thought that was a, a nice sign of uh, everybody was worried about Eero being acquired by that Amazon was going to use Eero for data. And what Apple is doing is kind of by by bringing their platform to Eero routers, saying actually that you know they're not doing that we're gonna we're gonna yeah. stop them from doing that basically <laughs> uh,
1: which is pretty interesting well we'll see how um well, once it ships you know that's, yeah, when, exactly. that, that's once it <laughs> ships that, that's when we'll put a, a final yay or nay to that to that announcement but um great well with that i, I want to move into some of the bigger announcements when it comes to the os side of things and that's going to be the ipad os so this is um this year apple has announced um ipad os which is now uh being separated from uh ios in general it's now its own centralized thing that's specific to the ipad Um, and i think this comes after a lot of our consumers asking apple to kind of make this ipad a bit more laptop-ish so they've updated a lot of new features like multitasking uh, has external support for a mouse as well as a usb thumb drive which i know that was a big hit um, for all the developers that were out there um, and then also, iPadOS will be requesting the desktop Safari version. So that way you kind of have that standard um, Mac feel when you are browsing the web on the iPad. But Adam, as an avid iPad user, you have one here in front of you now. What, you, what are your thoughts about yeah, this? Yeah, I mean,
0: I'm super excited. Um, uh, this has been a uh, long time coming. Uh, I think the, the desktop web browser thing will be super helpful for some things um, like Google Docs. Google Docs' uh, iOS app is just not that good. Uh, and uh, Google is. If you are insisting on not making a good iOS app, um, you know, Apple's going to solve that problem for you by just making it work <laughs> on the web. It's actually interesting. I wonder if Google will continue to make native iOS apps for things like Google Docs, um, if you can just use the web version and that works fine. Um, maybe they don't need to. I mean, offline storage is a good reason too, I guess, but uh, I'm looking forward to finally being able to add comments in an easy and reliable way <laughs> on my iPad. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, it, they're, they're, the iPad was just missing a few things for making it uh, something that a lot of people could use, uh, you know, full-time as their main right. computer. Craig Federici, uh, their uh, head of software development, um, said that uh, a lot of people, a lot of executives at Apple use iPads as their primary devices over Macs or even iPhones. Wow. Um, that he said he, he thinks that a lot of people in Apple use, the, you know, pr- uh, if you look at the time spent, um, they spend the most time with their iPad uh, as a device. So uh, that's good, and I think that that means that hopefully we'll see continued investment in these in iPads becoming um, you know even better uh, I think uh, you know there's there's still a few things on my wish list that didn't make it um, but uh, I'm excited to get the new OS when it comes out and more importantly I think it actually signals that Apple is committed to providing iPad updates on a yearly basis just like they do with every other app with right.
1: every other OS. Yeah. So it, it, it kind of creates this new space to be aware of, especially when you're just like designing experiences, because um, if it works well, it, let's say that you have a branded experience, it works well on a Mac web OS. That means it should run pretty smoothly on the iPad OS, but you might have to just update it specifically for that uh, piece of hardware. Yeah. Seems, some things there's going to be a bit off, but like thinking about, you know, that's kind of one more thing to put into the pipeline of when developing the product line for a brand uh, there will be you know, an, uh, a phone version a Mac version and an iPad version now
0: yeah and I think that that um, brands sometimes overlook the iPad as a device and designers sometimes overlook it because it doesn't you know we use a computer like a, a desktop computer or a laptop computer at work and we always have our phones in our pockets uh, but I just actually read an interesting stat last night that uh, in, in the uh, US there are about as many iPads as there are consumer laptops, so if you so hmm. take away the enterprise sales of, of laptops and desktops, there are about as many iPads as there are other computers in the world. So uh, it seems you know big enough to be a, a target for your your designs.
1: That's interesting. Well, let's try and get like, an iPad segment, an audience segment, see how that uh, changes our advertising strategies. Um, talking about new updates and uh, operating system, Watch OS. Uh, takes another step at becoming a single standalone device without having to be tethered to the phone. Uh, And that's with the introduction of the watchOS App Store and apps for the Apple Watch. what are your thoughts? I thought that was pretty exciting. I think it's kind of yeah. again Apple just looking to see what's going to be next on the horizon when it comes to the uh, these kind of like these like new computing platforms as they see the iPhone growth start to slow and kind of temper. Uh, they're looking to spread out and figure out what's that next opportunity is for them.
0: Yeah, I think what we really saw this year, if you look across the updates to all of Apple's platforms, is that they were really starting to allow every every platform to become more independent and more. Uh, Capable of doing whatever users are using it for, um, you know, the iPad is not a second-class citizen to the Mac necessarily for computing, or the iPhone for computing. Um, the Watch is starting to move away from requiring an iPhone for uh, for management. I think we're not entirely there yet. This was a step in the right direction. Um, and I think it's it's really just about um, it's like like they don't all have to compete with each other. Um, us- users will use them for what they they find them useful for, and uh, it's just about making all those platforms better. Mm-hmm. Um, the watch is obviously a step towards a post iPhone world, and the more independent it becomes, the more opportunities there might be for people to leave their phones at home or leave them you know on their desk. Uh, and and be comfortable using their watch. I certainly think that um, the watch combined with the AirPods uh, start to paint that picture. And I think you know the one thing that is. Looming over a lot of these announcements that everybody's thinking about is that uh, there are rumors of Apple glasses coming um, and certainly a watch powering glasses display for a larger uh, visual display and AirPods for um, for audio and voice. You can start to see that those three things together might look like a fully formed computing platform of their own. Um, so I think that that's the direction things are headed in and you can see them making a, a big step uh, with watch independence in that direction.
1: Right. Yeah. And when to, to your point, you know, like, again, like this is, I think this WWDC is, this is Apple thinking about what will be after the iPhone or like, what is that, that next computer power going to be? Cause obviously uh, whether it's confirmed that they're working on glasses or not, they're putting a lot of effort into updating AR kit, AR kit three um, coming up with new products around AR development, which is a clear signal or an intent into, okay, they're going to be, this is going to be something that's going to be like a, a forward thinking or like this is their kind of bet on what that next computing platform is going to be because of this heavy development that's going into these um, software products. Yep. Yep. And I think that uh, if you look
0: not to get too deep into the sort of developer engineering side of things, but if you look at some of the other announcements that they made, um, like Project Catalyst, which is about bringing iPad apps to the Mac, um, and Swift UI which is about developing um, one set of uh, one set of interface uh, controls that can work on everything from uh, you know an Apple an Apple TV with like a 10 foot user interface to your Mac to your iOS device to the watch um, they really are moving towards a world where it's it's easier and easier for Apple to do things like launch new platforms like let's say gla- AR glasses um, without developers having to suddenly take on a whole ton of new work Um, a lot of the point of this was about uh, from the developer story was about sharing code um, designing things once and letting them run across all of Apple's platforms Um, and I think that they have come to a place where especially with sort of um, historically lackluster developer support for the watch um, they've really gotten to a place and the Apple TV to outside of, of video services, they've gotten to a point where um, some developers are like, uh, "This is so much work to maintain all these platforms." Some brands might say, "Well, obviously we're going to make an iPhone app, but everything else, eh. right? <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> so it's like too much work. We only have <laughs> X number of people." Um, and what they're re- they were really selling the story of, "Look, now one team or even one developer, depending on the complexity, can write software across all of our platforms." And that certainly will be helpful to them in the future if they are launching uh, AR glasses. Or if they mm. are launching, you know, eventually we might see a car and what is the software for the car going to look like? Um, or maybe something totally different, right? Like there's going to be something else at some point. Um, and so regardless of the exact timeline and, and maybe even regardless of the exact form factor, they're setting up their platforms to be easy to, uh, for developers to manage across all of the, their devices.
1: Yeah, and to me, like what that sounds like, or what it reminds me of is just that in the Apple, in the Apple ecosystem, for me, it's always just worked between iPhone, Mac, TV. It's just, you know, you, you have all these devices and in general, in most times, it, it just works across all of them. So now it's nice to see on the back end that the developers are kind of getting like that same kind of yeah. treatment that it's like, here's here's that one platform that pushes it all to every single device and obviously like there's like going to be some tweaking that, that you have to do because each platform is different. But... Um, it's just like kind of nice to see. So hopefully, like that kind of you know increases what is put out and the kind of like the usability of it all. Yeah, and we'll see. Like I, I don't. It's hard to know until we
0: we actually uh, you know people have time to tinker with it some more. But like Swift UI, the point there is actually you don't need to to, to customize anything. Is that if you want to yeah, use no. some standard controls for things. Uh, and you don't customize the interface too much that Apple will just the 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 apps thems, the, or the, the devices themselves will customize the UI based on what they are capable of um, and that's a really interesting idea it's um, a declarative interface mm-hmm. programming language and um, or not programming language uh, API and um, and that has that idea has been around for a long time. There's some in the wild, but this is a really interesting take on it. And what, it, like I said, what it would allow Apple to do is launch new platforms into market that on day one have a ton of third-party developer support, um, so that uh, you know some of the more popular third-party apps like. Lyft and Uber and mm-hmm. um, you know Kindle and things like that are there on day one without the developers having to do anything or even know about it in advance. Which <laughs> is, if they can pull that off, that's like pretty amazing. And it sounds crazy, but they sort of did that on the the end side of of, of engineering. Um, with something called bytecode, uh, that they they changed the processor in the watch from thirty two bits to sixty four bits. And normally, you would have to do at least recompile your apps for it. But because of uh, the way that the watch runs uh, bytecode, Apple did all of that without developers having to do anything. And basically, they're now trying to do that on the the interface side of things too. Interesting. Um, it's super. It's. If they launch those glasses and they're like, and developers don't have to do anything, and we've got a hundred thousand apps running on them already, it's going to be wild
1: times. <laughs> but that seems to be what they're headed
0: towards, and the, like the, the goal for uh, on the software development side,
1: right? Well, I mean, every year that the the software like the, like those tools they get better and better and better, and I would say less and less complex. From like you said, knowing actual programming like yeah. the ones and zeros to you know more visual GUI based like drag and drop. Which we now see with the AR um, yeah. compiler reconstructor. What was it called again? Uh,
0: Reality Composer. Reality Composer. Very. I like it. I like that. Very highfalutin name. Yeah. I like it. I like it a lot. But the other thing that they compare is they did compare Swift UI to, um, to develop it. To creating slides in keynote as yeah. well in terms of uh if you don't really know how to code y- i think you you still need to know a little bit of coding but there is a lot of stuff you can do with drag and drop mm-hmm. and customizing things through palettes and stuff like that as yeah. well which is which is great
1: it's just one year closer to me making my app that i've thought about doing for <laughs> you know forever um, additionally, I mean, I think that's what you know, we can kind of round out our conversation is talking about some of the more, um, interesting things that we saw and some of the kind of like the media focus, uh, announcement that, that, that they had. So, uh, the big announcements when it comes to podcasting, because as our, uh, resident host here at floor nine, I am up on everything that's going with that. Um, iTunes is no more. Uh, they have broke iTunes out into Apple music, Apple TV, and then podcasts, Apple podcasts. um, So it kind of reflects what what we've already had on the phone. Uh, It's in line with the kind of other announcement that they had with this whole Project Catalina and Mac apps are now becoming similar to iPad apps. Um, So it's just just nice to see that this user experience is going to be pretty consistent across all the different devices that you have. Um, When it comes from growing the space or, you know, increasing podcast listenership, um, I think it's yet to be seen how this is going to impact, you know, people kind of hopping in but it seems like those that are already in the ecosystem uh we're getting some new uh tools to work with Uh, for example siri suggestions will now actually suggest like you a podcast uh which is pretty cool um but you know we'll see how it impacts the rest of the kind of like people that are non-listeners so the other thing is that apple podcasts at least on the
0: desktop, it's going to allow you to search through the content as well, right? It has yes. a deeper search. Yes. Yep. I wasn't... They're indexing everything now. Okay, so they, are they actually indexing all of the audio, the entire audio of the podcast like they're, Google is doing? Yeah,
1: so they're, okay. they're, they're going to be trans... Similar, yeah, like they'll be transcribing episodes so that way you can um, search for episodes based off the content that's in them. And they're also coming out with new categories that can classify your podcast. So they had... Um, removed a bunch that were kind of very general and have kind of honed them down to a few more specific things. So for example, like our podcast is under management and marketing, which I always thought was kind of weird because management's not really what we do, but now they have a separate management and marketing, uh, category that you can choose from. Um, tech news used to be like a, it used to be like technology and news. Now there's like a specific tech news, uh, uh, a tag that is broken out from like the business news. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they've kind of added some new categories. They made some a bit more fine tune. Um, so it'll be exciting to see, you know, if that kind of helps again with this, with this larger problem of discovery. Cause it seems like a lot of the announcements that they have, whether it's from the search perspective or series suggestions or recategorizing or reclassifying what podcasts can stand for. Um, it's all about trying to help search discovery. And solve yeah, I'm
0: really glad that they're doing like full content search because that's something that Google announced. Obviously, it's the kind of thing you expect from Google, um, but Google Podcasts is is tiny compared to oh, super uh, tiny. So Apple <laughs> super, Podcasts super being tiny. sort of you know the big uh, fish in podcasting, having them do full content uh, search is really awesome. Let's hope it works. Mm-hmm. Knock on wood. Um, I would love the ability, and I don't know why no one's done this yet. Spotify, if you're listening, you should do this. to (laughs) Subscribe to like a content feed where you like, like a a search, like a feed, a podcast feed that is searching all of their index and then giving you episodes that are related to whatever
1: your search term is. Wait, Um, run that by me again. I'm I'm trying to paint a picture in my head. So for example,
0: if I wanted to listen to uh, a bunch of podcasts talking about the new Swift UI, I could type Swift UI into the search Uh, and then get a feed of podcasts from all but all, any shows that are talking about right I,
1: well so i think that's exactly what they're trying to do it's like it's like narrow it down to like it's like a search term like that so you don't have to search for host name or shows anymore it's like i want to learn about um you know the chinese audio market so you can type you know it's like audio in china or something like that and it's like it'll give you all sure. the podcasts that kind of like talk about that specific topic um, so I think that's the ideal scenario that they're going for with this, with this new update. But I want like a feed of that.
0: That's like, like, a, a, uh, like
1: Google alerts would be like uh, the equivalent, right? Okay. Where it's just
0: like anytime someone's like Swift UI would be not crazy cause you'd get hundreds of results a day, but <laughs> <laughs> something more sustainable because I can imagine someone like a brand manager might want to subscribe to their brand name. So they could get a, a feed of podcasts that anytime your brand is mentioned, you get it, assuming it's not a common word right um, you're you would get it you would be able to check out what people are saying on podcasts like how useful would that be
1: oh interesting i don't no one's doing that but someone should do that that's a good product idea uh marco if you're listening check that out the guys are over at breaker.fm ACast, cast who's ever listening our,
0: our, our clients at
1: spotify Our clients at spotify <laughs> um you know the first one's always free so that one's on that one's on us Um, but great. I mean, so Adam, is there anything else that you saw on stage at WWDC that you really thought, um, was just like a fantastic announcement or something that brands should be thinking about or just something that you loved and we haven't talked about yet that you want to really dive into?
0: Um, one thing that we haven't really talked about, but that I actually am super excited about, the more that I read about it, is um, improvements on the uh, shortcuts app and Siri shortcuts. I think they're still not the most accessible things, but they are becoming so much more flexible. Okay. And uh, I love that they're integrating it with the Home app uh, in a better, in a way that it wasn't last year. So a lot of um, home automations and media automations can now be triggered using shortcuts. So you can do things like. Um, walk into your home and have the uh, whatever audio you're listening to. If it's a podcast you're listening to in right now, an Apple Podcast. Hopefully, one day in Overcast. Um, start shift from your headphones to your uh, HomeKit compatible speakers. Right with a um, handoff. With hand, well, this is but it, handoff can do it if you have a HomePod. But um, shortcuts will work with actually with any HomeKit enabled oh, speakers. Okay, um, there's some cool things they're doing with. Uh, speakers and TV. Now that we have HomeKit TVs from third-party manufacturers, um, so you can do things like like trigger media around your home, which I think is pretty cool. Um, and all that stuff can now also be tied to things like alarms. So when you set your alarm to wake you up in the morning, it can it can start playing music throughout your home and things like that. Um, there's some nice stuff there that I haven't, that hasn't really the the music playing at home has been something that has that google and amazon have done but some of it is it's just a little more integrated and a little more flexible um i don't know it's still a platform that i think is is seeing a lot of adoption with um with highly technical users and more pro users Um, i still think they need to work on how to make that more accessible to um the average person yep um but uh I, I'm excited by the flexibility and, and power that is behind some of the automation stuff they're doing.
1: Right, because I would say for me, three shortcuts. I, I download the app, and that's as far as I got in the process. Like I haven't, I I haven't found my use case for it yet. Now, I will say the one use case as was super interesting for me is that I have a Sonos. Right, unfortunately, it's not a HomePod, and there's the HomeKit is like one of my speakers. I think can do the AirPlay two stuff. So when I come in, I still have to like. Swap over to like my Sonos app and then turn it on to my room. But I would love if if I just walked in and it just went straight to my Sonos player. Like that would be the dream. Like if I was listening to music and I, I walk in, and it goes boom right to the Sonos. I think I can fix this for you. Oh, okay, <laughs> tech support. And this is the, this new section of the our floor nine podcast is called tech support with uh Adam Simon. Adam, uh, how do I fix my Sonos speaker?
0: <laughs> if you have one that's AirPlay compatible, you I can, do. You can make you can make it control the other ones basically.
1: Oh, interesting. Talk about it later. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so Adam, as we take a look at everything that we've talked about today, um, and relating this back to brands, you know, what are what are like, like those one or two things that brands should be thinking about? Because really, this year uh, WWDC didn't have that many announcements that um, directly impacted our brands.
0: Yeah. So I think I think the most important one is to keep an eye on sign in with Apple and how that is going to affect Um, are the data that we uh, the users we have access to the data about those users that we have access to same thing with some of the location stuff we might start to uh, not have some location data from from users uh, on iOS uh, that we are used to um, and then, you know, as we were saying, sort of continue to evaluate that uh, value exchange in order to get a- access to user data um, in the same way that Google has been doing it. Um, really make sure that we're being very clear, obviously, and honest about the the data that we're asking for, um, but then also offering some clear value in exchange for that.
1: Right. Absolutely. I think I think we're gonna, we're going to continue to see users be more present and have a voice about how their data is being handled because these companies are making it easier and easier and easier for us to um, kind of take action against it. So. Uh, just something for our brands to keep in mind, but then also uh, just start thinking about what the post mobile era looks like. Um, Apple obviously has put a lot of work into kind of figuring out for themselves what those potential opportunities are, whether that's the watch, whether that's AirPods. Um, they're starting to think about what comes next after the, the iPhone, you know, is it services, uh, augmented uh, reality, augmented, yeah, augmented reality. So, you know, it's, Good for our brands to start thinking about how do you fit into these potential platforms when uh, a phone isn't necessarily the one thing that we'll be carrying around day to day. Yeah. Awesome. So, with that, if you like what you heard, uh, that is our 2019 recap of Apple's Worldwide Developer Conference. Uh, you can go check out our Medium blog for a written recap uh, by our very own Richard Yao. Uh, so go check that out. And if you like what you hear, share, tell a friend, uh, give us a review on Apple podcasts, uh, or on the new Apple podcasts on the Mac. That'd be great coming in September. Uh, so thank you. And we'll talk soon.